Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Today we uh, continue our journey through uh, Jonah. Jonah has just left the sailors on the ship. And what were the sailors doing on the ship? They were worshiping and praising Yahweh. Not because Jonah had a great sermon. Jonah was scared. Jonah couldn't even take responsibility for himself or for the shipmates to say, we, I, got, I, got, I got to make this safe. He said, you have to throw me off the ship and then you will be safe. So the sailors eventually did that. And when they saw the difference that made, they worshiped Yahweh. They said, who is this God that controls the wind and the waves and the sea? And they worshiped Yahweh. Jonah's just had his first prophetic moment. (laughs) By being the problem, by getting out of the way, Jonah had his first moment. We're going to pick up the story and continue reading. Uh, If you have a a Bible today, can open it up to Jonah. Chapter 1, we're actually reading the last verse of Jonah, chapter 1. 117 and reading through the end of chapter 2. So Jonah 117 through 210. Out of respect for the reading of God's word, those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read this passage of scripture? A reading from the book of Jonah. Meanwhile, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of the underworld, I cried out for help. You have heard my voice. You had cast me into the depths in the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your strong waves and rushing water passed over me. So I had said, I have been driven away from your sight. Will I ever again look on your holy temple? Waters have grasped me to the point of death. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head at the base of the undersea mountains. I have sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight. But you brought me out of the pit. When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those deceived by worthless things lose their chance mercy but me I will offer a sacrifice to you with a voice of thanks that which I have promised I will pay deliverance belongs to the Lord verse 10 then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land this is the word of God given to us the people of God we say thanks be to God please please be seated I uh, wanted to recount a story of disaster, and I thought about giving you a personal story, but I found this other one instead that I wanted to share. It's pretty good. Um, From an insurance claim form. 
Okay, dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over which when weighed later were found to weigh about 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, loaded the bricks into it, then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is approximately 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and broken collarbone as listed in Section 3, Accident Reporting Form. Slowly, slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two of this explanation. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold on to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my leg and lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. I, the encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me only enough to lessen my, or seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> so. Story of a bad day. Bad day at work. The story of Jonah is, is a masterful tale. Uh, it's, a, it's a literary work that the writer does a, a pretty amazing job at, at, at several things as you look at it in the Hebrew language. There are literary themes that, that rise out of this text and, and that, that call us to faithfulness and call us to transformation in our lives. It's one of the stories that skeptics of the Bible, though, actually like to pick on. It's one of the ones that, that skeptics say, could a person really get eaten by a whale? Could a, could a great fish really swallow a person? We had the story last week of, of the guy, the, the lobster diver, Michael Pack, Packard, uh, eaten by the whale. But that was only 30 to 45 seconds, right? Three days in the belly of the whale. Some people say, no way, couldn't be. And yet the literary themes, the message of Jonah is so critical, so vital for our lives. We see here again in this chapter the theme of obedience. Surprising obedience, in fact. Okay? Everybody, everything, likes to obey God in these opening chapters of Jonah, except for the man of God. The waves like to obey. The wind likes to obey. The sea likes to obey. And now we have the great fish who loves to obey Yahweh. 
as he moves and as he called. Here in, in the, last, the last verse of chapter 1, the great fish swallows Jonah. Jonah couldn't have been tasty. Sailors aren't necessarily clean people, but people aren't generally in, in the, the, uh, the culinary tastes of, of fish. Usually not. And if they do, then they tend to, like, eat the person, right? Not just, like, hold on to them for a while. Packard only lasts 30, 45 seconds again, right? But, but the obedient toward God, those compelled to comply with the influence of God, are the members of creation. The sea, the wind, the waves, and the whale. And here we see them steering the life of Jonah back toward this call that God had placed on his life. Get up. Go to Nineveh. Did you hear Jesus say that to the daughter that he saved in the scripture reading? My child, get up. And he had told Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. The other thing we see in the writing of Jonah is is this literary use of words. He uses words frequently and over and over again. One of Jonah's favorite words to use in this section was yurad. Yurad. Not yurad, but yurad. It's a Hebrew word. Translated for us as the word down. The first thing to note is remember God's call. God said, Jonah, get up and go and go cry out. Go preach the word to the people of Nineveh. Go to this foreign nation. Go to Assyria and say, the Lord is the Lord. Yahweh is our God, the creator of all that is. God's specific direction to to Jonah had been, get up and go and preach to Nineveh. Get up and move in the direction I have called you. And that's not accidental in the story of Jonah. God's general position is up for the people of the ancient. Gods were up. God was physically in a heavenward direction, up there somewhere. We, We still have that that idea today sometimes that heaven is up Jerusalem was always referred to as going up to Jerusalem Jerusalem was built on a hill this isn't go up like go north this is go up as in elevation God was always up but look at Jonah's story Jonah goes down Jonah goes down chapter 1 says he went down to Joppa Chapter 1 says he went down to a ship to to climb aboard. Verse 3, he went down into the hole to sleep. Remember when he fell asleep in the middle of the storm? He was down in the lowest parts of the ship and now tossed into the depth of the heart of the sea. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3. Down until the deep surrounds me at the base of the undersea mountains. Verse 5 of chapter 2. We have this turn of phrase in, in the English language, hitting rock bottom. <laughs> have you hit rock bottom before? This, this bricklayer had hit rock bottom that day. We've all had this form of hitting rock bottom. We've all had these days where the rug has been pulled out from underneath us and we don't know how we're going to make it through the week, how we're going to make it through the month. Our responsive reading today was Psalm 130. It started this, this way. I cry out to you from the depths. Pay attention. Who would stand a chance if we didn't have the Lord? There was another psalm I was considering using 
um, today for the reading. Um, I had thought about it for the responsive reading. I had thought about it for Lynn to come up and read it. Um, but reading through it, I, I, I couldn't do it. Psalm 88. I want you to look up some, write that down if you have something to write down with. Look up Psalm 88. This, this is the psalm that doesn't transition to hope. It's the one lament psalm that never resolves, that never gets to the promises of God. In 130, we get, we get to, I hope, my whole being hopes, I wait on the Lord, he is the one that will redeem Israel. Psalm 130 does. Psalm 88 doesn't do that. I cry out, the psalmist says, turn to your ear, wave after wave subdues me. My friends are distant, I can't escape I suffer all day long. Do you work wonders for the dead? The psalmist writes, speaking of himself. You reject my very being, afflicted since my youth, terrors that surround and engulf me. And this is the last verse in the common English. My only friend is darkness. Have you had Psalm 88 days? Have you had those days where Hope can't be found. Easy answers don't work. And we just feel lost. This is rock bottom. This is the dark night of the soul. This is when your being feels broken and you can't snap out of it. Church hasn't always been a great help to these folks at times. Perhaps that's your story too, that at your darkest moment... Church was a tough place to go to. Why is that? Sometimes the people here feel, maybe, maybe looking on the outside, we look like we have it all put together a little too much. Sometimes we've been taught and we've been trained that when we come, come to a gathering like this, when we go out in public, we're supposed to look like we kind of got it put together. I can tell you for people who are stuck in Psalm 88 that that's tough that maybe we need a little more vulnerability. Maybe we need a little more brokenness with one another. I'll tell you that's why I love small groups. I'll tell you that when you get a small group of people together, whether it's watching The Chosen, whether it's ladies' Bible study, whether it's a life group, when you get small groups of people together, you can say, yeah, I kind of had it put together on Sunday, but I'm hurting right now. Bills aren't paid. My family's a mess right now. And not. It's not an easy time. Church hasn't always been a great help to these folks. Just pray. Just believe. This is the promise, God's promise that helped me. Here's this one. This isn't scriptural, by, by the way. You'll never be, well, it's partially scriptural. I'll, let me get to this. You'll never be given any more or more than you can handle. Okay? There's a scripture that talks about how God doesn't allow anything beyond what we can handle, and sometimes people quote that to Psalm 88 folks. That scripture's really talking about God's provision. Not like, oh, you can get through this. It's about the provision of God, that God's provision will always meet you in that place. And sometimes it's just not that helpful. <laughs> what doesn't kill you make you stronger? That's a, that's a song that's not a Bible verse, okay? Um, those people, sometimes they walk into church and they feel like, what's wrong with me? How can all these people have it together? And what's wrong with me? 
What do we need to do? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't have an easy answer. There's no easy fix for this. There's no formula. But as Christ is our model, I believe that incarnation is a huge part of this. Show up and be there. Be there with those people. I know the answer is incarnational. My only friend is darkness is, is this Jonah type of darkness. In the dark and in the dank and in the damp, fishy smelling gooiness of the fish. Jonah writes this lament that we read in chapter 2. He calls out to the Lord. Luckily, thankfully for Jonah, it's not a Psalm 88 fashion. This lament has a turning point that he comes to. At the base of the undersea mountains. So low that he's at the base of the mountains that are under the, the, the surface of the sea, held by bars, Jonah finds this moment of transformation at the end of verse 6. He says, but you, you brought me out of the pit. Jonah's lament is one that turns to the promises and to the remembrances of who God is. We finally get to see Jonah's transformation moment. His faith shows up, for he did know God. He did know this God that he was running away from that he was struggling so hard to obey and so hard to step into the call that God had placed on his life. <laughs> of course, it took three days. <laughs> the, the passage of three days happens in that last verse in, in chapter one. I wonder what he thought of day one. <laughs> What's going to happen here? Day two, am I ever going to get out of here? Day three, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to call out to God. But the number three in the period of three days is significant in Scripture, right? We've heard this number before. Abraham finds Isaac's altar on the third day in Genesis. Joseph's brothers, brother, Joseph's brothers were held by him for three days. And after three days, he says, let me tell you how you can live. At Sinai, Yahweh waited for the third day to descend upon the mountain. Joshua declares they will cross the river Jordan and into the promised land when? On the third day. Day. Isaiah is told to tell Hezekiah he will be healed on the third day. The king will be healed on the third day. Esther approaches King Xerxes when? On the third day after prayer and fasting. The prophet Hosea speaks of restoration on the third day. Are all these texts coincidence? Are they just accurate reporting? They all speak of this idea of the restoration of life the preservation of life, the renewal of the life. A new beginning for God's people happens on the third day. Certainly that's continued in the New Testament. When was Jesus risen? When was the grave opened and found to be empty? On the third day. This is Jonah's rock bottom. After three days of mildewing in the belly of the well, Jonah says... I don't want to live this way anymore. I want, I want something new. Transform me. Get me out of here. You brought me out of the pit. When my endurance failed, I remembered you. I prayed to you. I will offer sacrifice. And what I have promised, I will pay. Deliverance is the Lord. And Jonah gets to become whale vomit. Which doesn't sound that pleasant, but maybe a little more pleasant than being in the belly of the great fish. This is Jonah's moment. This is the moment where he, he, he stops heading 
down. He stops saying, I'm running away from God. Whatever God has for me, whatever he's calling me to, I'm headed down. It took him to the depths of the ocean where the seaweed swirled around his head. And finally, Jonah said, maybe I can go up too. He makes this decision to go up, to look up, to acknowledge that God will lift him from that dark place and set his feet on mission. I'm reminded that it's not easy for Jonah after this. <laughs> this isn't the end of his tough road, right? He's he, In the belly of the well is rock bottom. It's not good. After we turn to God, after God lifts us up out of the pit, our work isn't over. He still had to go to Assyria. <laughs> he still had to go to that place he didn't want to go. He still had to go to Nineveh and preach God's message there, which was the very problem in the first place. He, he really didn't want to. It's pretty clear. Get up. Go. Preach the word. And Jonah goes down, down, down. He finally says, okay, God, I'll head towards you. I'll begin to come up. And his work isn't over. We're going to encounter more of Jonah and some of his quirks along the way as we plow through the rest of this book. The saga is not over for sure. But Jonah says, I'm done going down. That I've run for too long. And it's time to head up. The most amazing thing to me it's not, it's not amazing because I haven't experienced it. It's not amazing because we don't know this to be true. It's not amazing like a big shocker. It's amazing because it speaks to the faithfulness of God. When he decides to turn around, God is right there. God is right there. He doesn't say, now Jonah, you've been running for me for three days, so I'm going to make you wait. Hold on just a second. I'm busy right now, Jonah. I'll get back to you. I'll think about it. Sometimes I say that to my kids. Dad, can we do this? I'll think about it. That's not God. God was right there. God came through in that moment. And again, the obedient fish complies. Creation obeying God quicker than Jonah does. He spits out Jonah after three days. A chance for new life, a chance to be redeemed, a chance to do what God had sent him to do in the first place. A complete turnaround, a transformation. After being at rock bottom, God found him there. Sometimes the church has overemphasized that, that God cannot look upon sin, that God can't be present with sin and sometimes people think that that means when they're at their worst, when they're at their lowest point, they kind of got to get life figured out before God's going to be there. God's everywhere, friends. Amen? Amen? At that moment when Jonah turns his life around and begins to speak of the promises of God and the deliverance of God, God is right there. And for us, we find our lesson in the transformation of Jonah this week. Certainly, we celebrate his turnaround, but for us at our lowest and darkest moment, it's the persistent presence of God that makes the difference for us too. The tr simple truth that God is incarnate, God is present to us. 
And it is for us, as it was for Jonah, a gift, a treasure, a lifeline in that third day that says new life is possible. We don't have to run down, down, down away from the call of God. We don't have to go yurad anymore. It's not easy. Our work's not done. There will be bumps in the road, but God is right there waiting for you and waiting for me. And our call is to turn to God, to stop running, and to stop heading down. I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come on up on the stage as we close out our service today. Also, the, those that are prepared to help us serve communion today, um, there perhaps is no more fitting way to celebrate this incarnational presence of God, this fact that, that God shows up in our deepest and darkest moments, in our Psalm 88 moments. There's no fitting way to remember that, perhaps, than the meal of communion, the Eucharist. It's here that we're invited to the table of grace. It's here that we're reminded that, that God is present to us in tangible ways. We get to touch, feel, and see and taste the presence of God as we celebrate communion. It's here that whether we're at rock bottom or if it feels like God is near us and that we're growing and that we realize for both of those people, we are in need of the grace that's offered at this table. Amen? And humbled by the generosity of God, we come, we dine, we taste, and we see that the Lord is good. Like it says in Psalm 34, the Lord is present and there for us. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered uh, with his disciples in an upper room. And they celebrated the Passover meal. And during that meal, Jesus did a couple of things different. In the middle of the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you share this meal together, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he offered it to them and said, take and drink. This blood is, or this, this wine is my blood in the cup of the new covenant poured out for the salvation of many. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And it's out of that call and out of that invitation that we share this meal, along with thousands and thousands of other Christ followers around the globe on this day, we join with them and say, we accept this gift of salvation, the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The table is set. The invitation is given. Come and die. Today for the benediction. Um, I'm going to use the same benediction throughout Jonah. So I invite you to stand, those who are willing and able. Just this, such a, such a fitting benediction for the story of Jonah. Talks about <laughs> God doing more than all we could ask or imagine. As I, as I think about the story of Jonah, I just think it's fitting. So receive this benediction today. Now, all glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine. How? By his power, which is where? At work within us. At work 
within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us. And have a great week.